Hey guys, welcome to Home Church Scotland. I'm Pastor Dave and welcome to our weekly podcast. Guys, if you're encouraged by what you hear today, why not check out our social medias? Just search for Home Church Scotland. Or why not subscribe to our YouTube channel where all of our services are live and in full for you to enjoy at your listening pleasure. The story of Easter. This is the greatest day in history, man, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And I heard, I heard a preacher say this once and it kind of got me thinking, so I want to ask us the same question. And then you know how we've been working through the Gospel of Mark for like two years and we're in chapter 11? I'm doing the whole book of Matthew today. Right? <laughs> Just so I'm going to do it in one day, right? But I, I remember this question being asked. Um, when you picture Jesus, what do you see? When you picture Jesus, what do you see? What I think is uh, kind of happened over the years is we have watered down the gospel a lot. Just just Chinese whisper stuff, do you know what I mean? Like, are we shine off it? Are we shine off it? Are we shine off it? And I think a big part in how we've done that is we've watered down Jesus as times went on. And if you think about Jesus, you probably think about quite a handsome looking white man holding a sheep. Like, and just, do you know what I mean? Some gentle, beautiful man. Gentleness is a side to Jesus. But when I read through the Gospels, the thing that stands out to me more than anything else is the strength of Jesus. The thing that stands out to me the most is, is power. But that's no getting portrayed, I don't think, in the paintings that we see. It's not portrayed in a lot of churches either. What's portrayed is, you know, you hear about compassion and grace and love and all of that, and that's all true. But if we don't know all of Jesus, we don't know Jesus at all. We need to understand who Jesus is in his entirety. Is he a gracious God? Absolutely. Is he kind and loving? Absolutely. Is he gentle? Yet yeah, times he is when we need it. But he's the most powerful being who ever lived. He was the strongest man who ever lived. And when I think about our nation of Scotland today, they don't need gentle Jesus and nothing else preached. They need to know the power of Jesus. They need to know the transformational power of Jesus to change lives. And my goodness me, does the church in Scotland, the church of Scotland and the church in Scotland needs the power of Jesus to move within it. That's the truth. And so today I'm just want to look at like how does Jesus portray himself in scripture? And what does that mean? Matthew chapter four, just after Jesus is baptized, it said that Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after 40 days of, and 40 nights, he was hungry and the tempter came to him saying all sorts of temptations. Now we in life as human beings, we know a little bit about temptation. Very few of us, if any of us in this room 
have ever faced temptation like that. You're, you haven't eaten or drink for 40 days. Can you imagine physically how weak you were? Because just remember, as, as much as Jesus was God, he was also human. Here's a human who's fasted and prayed for 40 days. And then the tempter of all tempters comes up face to face and tries to get him to trip up. I think that takes incredible strength and incredible power for Jesus to resist the enemy. That same power lives in us, by the way. I might say more on that later on. So we see Jesus' power and strength of character as early as chapter 4. When we get into chapter 5, Jesus straight away goes after the religious leaders and calls them out on the rubbish, which is an extremely brave and an extremely strong thing to do. He said um, to, uh, to a multitude of people in verse 20 or verse 5, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And by saying that, he's saying, these scribes and Pharisees, your religious leaders are going to hell. That's a really, really strong thing to say. That's not a weak and gentle or uh, like non-scary thing to say. That's confrontational straight down the nose. You guys are totally lost. And by the way, unless everyone else does better than the guys who are leading you, you're all going to the same place. In other words, you guys need me. You guys need to change your lives. That's a really, really strong and really, really brave thing to say. Powerful thing to say. In chapter 6, he calls out the rich. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve God in money. Two lots of people you don't want to annoy are leaders and rich people. Don't know if you know that. If, you were, if I was to give you advice about two groups of folk in Scotland that you don't want to upset, it's the people that are rich and the people in power, partially because the people who are rich prop up the people in power. That's kind of how it goes, isn't it? You know that. Jesus doesn't care. Jesus isn't scared. Jesus goes after him and tells the truth, regardless of what it might mean to him. And I love his strength. Seven. He speaks to everybody. He speaks to us in this. He speaks to... By the way, when he's talking about the rich, he's talking about us as well. Because we're wealthy. I might, I might come to that again later on. He's speaking to people. And he says this, Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, on judgment day that we sang about earlier on, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. That's a really, really strong thing to say. Look, thinking back to the video that we just watched, Jesus is kind of saying, I don't care what you do. What you do is irrelevant. It's whether you know me or not is whether you get into heaven. Now, if we know Jesus, of course, we'll try and live our righteous lives. I'm not saying you can go away and do whatever you want. So as nobody can ever try and misinterpret me. I want to honour Jesus with my life. And I want us as a church to honour Jesus with our life. But it's not our lives that get us to heaven. 
It's not our good works that get us to heaven. It's nothing that we've done that gets us to heaven. It's simply knowing Jesus. But Jesus isn't some guy who's like, who panders to people because he's desperate for everyone to be around about him. Jesus just says the truth. He just sets out the truth. Here's, here's how you come and if you don't come, here's the alternative and, and he leaves it up to people to make a choice. And I just think if the church could actually be a little bit, a bit more like Jesus and a little bit less pandering to society, might actually do all right. If you take the example of Jesus and actually stand strong for what's true, stand strong for Jesus, whether it's popular or not. This isn't a popular thing to say to people. This isn't a please, 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 would you follow me thing. This is going like, man, this is a cost. This is how it works. Take it or leave it. That was good. That was good, Janice, by the way. Yeah, I love that. It's normally Mary that finishes my sentences, but that's all right. <laughs> Later in chapter, in chapter 7, verse 28, it's saying that the people were astonished at his teaching because of the authority that he was speaking with. Jesus has got incredible authority. So do when we think of Jesus, do we just think of a gentle man carrying a couple of sheep round his neck? Or well, one sheep round his neck and I don't know how, you know, you know what I'm talking about? Or do we think about authority? Do we think of power? Because we should be. Then later on, in chapter 8, we see ridiculous power from Jesus because a, a centurion man, a powerful man comes up to Jesus and he says, uh, my servant's dying and Jesus is going to go to the house and the centurion goes, I don't even need you to come to my house, Jesus. I know the power you've got. I know that if you say one word, my servant will be healed. And so Jesus is astonished at the guy's faith, says he's not seen faith like it. He heals the, the servant from where he is. And then he uses that as, as an example to speak to people. And he says in chapter 8, verse 12, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness in that place, they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let me read the whole thing for context. Sorry. Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel, Israel have I found such faith as the, this centurion who just says to Jesus, oh, I know that if you say a word, my servant's healed. You don't even have to come. You're that powerful. I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is saying, it's not going to be, the people that are in heaven are not going to be the people that you expect to be in heaven. You expect the religious leaders and all of that and people to be there. They're actually no coming because they've not got it. It's going to be folk for the east and the west and folk that are far off and folk that you would never think in a million years are going to get to heaven because all you need to do to get to heaven is to trust in Jesus. Education ain't going to do it for you. Money's not going to do it for you. Being a leader in a church isn't going to do it for you. Do you know Jesus? Knowing Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's a powerful thing to say, isn't it? Later on in chapter 8, there's a whole storm happening. Wind and waves so powerful that fishermen are terrified for their lives. Fishermen know a thing or two about storms at sea. There's fishermen on a boat. And the storm's so bad that they think they're going to die. And Jesus just stands up and goes, whoa, shut up. Basically, if it was, if it was for Glasgow, right? Hold your wished. And the wind and the waves stop. Does that sound gentle to anybody? It doesn't, it does it. There's a time for gentleness, by the way. But there's a time for strength. If we're just gentle all the time. We can needs a very, very thin line between being gentle all the time and then just becoming a weak church that does what the government tell us to do. That ain't ever going to be us. 
I'll go to jail before I don't preach the word of God. I don't care what anybody says. You've heard me say it. You can hold me to it. And then later on in chapter 8, Jesus heals two men with demons in them. The Bible tells us that the demons shudder at the power of Jesus. Demons shudder at the name of Jesus. And yet, there's a whole lot of humans that shudder at the thought of like the darkness and shudder at the thought of demonic attacks and shudder at the thought of Satan. We don't need to shudder at them. They shudder at us because we carry Jesus in us. And Jesus, as we sang earlier on, is the name above all names, the King above all kings, the Lord above all laws. If you carry the name of Jesus with you, you don't have to fear nothing because you're carrying strength and you're carrying power. Crazy to see what Jesus did in verse 9, sorry, chapter 9, Jesus, he was a paralytic man. There's a paralytic man in a bed. And Jesus said, rise up, pick your bed and go home. And the guy stood up at an instant and walked home. Does that sound gentle to anybody else? Some guy can't walk, he's not walked from birth. And Jesus just says, stand up and walk. And the guy stands up and walk. Everyone must have been like, it's, a, it's wonderful, it's amazing. The power in that. Wish I had like a, I wish I had a, one thousandth of it. I just think it's brilliant. And then we move on. Chapter 10. Jesus says these words. These are powerful, strong words. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus is saying, why are you scared of people? You should actually be scared of me. Because all people can do is kill you. And what happens if they kill you? You're going to be with me anyway. Death isn't a scary thing for a Christian. It shouldn't be. People stoning about fearful of dying or fearful of death. We shouldn't be scared of that stuff because we know where we're going. There's no, such, there's no such thing as a sad death for a Christian. Yes, we might miss people, but when we die, we're going, to be, we're going to be at glory. I'm sorry to say, like, when I die, I hope my son misses me, but I'll not be missing him. I'll be like, oh, it'll be great, man. It'll be great. But there's so many people, and this is where the churches went wrong right here, is not listening to this. What we've done in this country is concerned ourselves about what other people are going to think of us when they've got no authority over us anyway. What can they really do to us? All right, they can maybe punch us in the face, right? We can take a bit of criticism, right? In some countries in the world, actually, they can kill you. I actually wouldn't be surprised if that ever happened here because my goodness me, we're going down and down and down and down and down. And by the way, it's going to get worse. See, anyway, see when you hear, see when I hear, see when I hear Christians go, goodness me, I can't really imagine things getting any worse. I just go, if you read Revelation, <laughs> it's like, uh, you know what I mean? It's, go, it's, go, it's going to get worse, man. We're, not, we're in a mess. We're in a fallen world. But Jesus has authority over all of it. And Jesus is saying, don't worry about what somebody thinks about you. They can't do anything to you. Worry about what I think. And if the church had just thought about how's the decision I'm making going to look before Jesus, they might actually have made better decisions rather than going, what's my community going to think about this decision? And actually, as they've made these shocking decisions with a view to being more whatever the word is, liberal, or try to get more folk in, they've just lost more and more and more people. Because nobody wants a weak, weak rubbish gospel. A false gospel doesn't change lives. Nobody wants it. It's not good for anybody. I've got better things to do with my life than go to a Sunday morning club. I do. 
But I've got nothing better to do with my life than to stand in the presence of the Lord God Almighty and give him all my praise and worship. I'm up for some of that. I'm not here for a club. We're called to see what we're supposed to do, right? And we've, had, we've seen a bit of this. We, we, see, on Easter week's a week when you work with, with other, other churches and stuff. And I'm not mentioning nothing specific, but sometimes I'm sitting there going, my goodness me, what's going on in here? And it's like, and what's, what's, what we're supposed to do, right, is change your delivery, but never ever change the message. When what we've done is change the message and kept her delivery a hundred years old and wonder why nobody's coming to church. It baffles me. That's another sermon for another day. Sorry, guys. <laughs> and I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I'm, not, I'm just like, come on, man, can we just wake up? Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We make decisions better if we consider Jesus' response to the decisions that we make. And then Jesus goes from there, right? So he challenges every individual. That's powerful, right? To challenge every individual is a brave and powerful thing to do. Don't go try to please people. Supposed to be pleasing me. I've got the power to, to do a whole lot more than what they do. And then he goes after whole entire cities. And he starts calling out whole entire cities. In the chapter 11, woe to unrepentant cities. He says, if the mighty works, he's talking to a particular place. If the mighty works been done in you, had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. And then he says to this city, uh, Chorzion and Bethsaida, um, Capernaum, Tyre and Sidon, he's talking about. I tell you, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for you. That's a really brave thing to say. To say to a whole place, if some if somebody started into somebody started into Easter House as an example writer and said you you would you be you'd be a bit scared, wouldn't you? You could get lynched. You know what I mean? It's like like that's like walking into walking into a Rangers pub with a Celtic top on. Do you know what I mean? You'd like you're in trouble. You, you you don't you don't you don't call out large groups of people unless you've got the you know what I mean? Jesus has got the power and authority. You know, he's, he's calling out all these whole cities. Again, does any of that strike anyone as gentle? And that's a really, that's a what, man, you're in trouble in the day of judgment because of how you're living your lives. That's what Jesus is saying. Whereas churches today are going, oh, you can live your life however you want because Jesus is compassionate. Jesus is full of, Jesus is gentle, Jesus is graceful. Just do what you want. As long as you believe, you'll get to heaven. Do you really believe if you've not submitted your life to him? Then chapter 12, he heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And if you know anything about first century Jerusalem, you don't do that. You don't do things on the Sabbath because people are out to get you. People are out to trip you up. You're not supposed to do anything on the Sabbath, but in front of all these people who could have caused Jesus all sorts of trouble, Jesus done what was right and healed a guy in front of their faces because he wasn't scared of anybody. He touched a guy and he was healed. And then in verse 13, He's talking to uh, groups of people and he's saying the son of man will send his angels. They will gather out of the, his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. He's saying to people, if you don't, uh, if you don't follow what's right, if you don't follow me, there's a really, really bad ending in store for you. That's not popular to talk about in churches today, is it? 
He's going to come and he's going to separate us. He's going to go, right, you Christians, are, you're coming with me. Sorry, guys, like I, I've tried, I've appealed to you, but no. Nah. He's going to separate. He's going to separate families. He's going to separate friends. Do you follow Jesus or do you not? That's the message of the gospel. Do you follow Jesus or do you not? And Jesus wasn't too scared to speak truth. That's brave. That's powerful. Chapter 14, we see Jesus walking in water. How powerful is that? Chapter 15. Chapter 15, the disciples finally come to Jesus and go to Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, but these leaders are a wee bit offended. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's took them this long, right? I don't know if you've noticed Jesus, but the Pharisees are a little bit offended by what you said. What did Jesus do? Did he go, oh no, I didn't mean it. Let, let, me, let, me go and, let me go and put that right. Let me go and apologize. Let me go and make sure that their little egos aren't upset. Let me go and make sure that they're okay and that they're comfortable and, and all that. So he, he, he didn't do that. He basically went, whoop de do if he was for Glasgow. <laughs> do you know that the Pharisees are offended when they heard you saying this stuff? And he answered, every plant that my heavenly father has not planted will be rooted up. He just said, let them alone. They're blind guides. That's brave, man. They're blind anyway. Just let, leave them alone. They're blind. They don't see it. They don't get it. But he wasn't gentle. He was solid. Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was gentle. He went to the cross because he was brave. He went to the cross because he was powerful. He went to the cross because he was saying things that weren't nice to hear and weren't easy to hear. But they, were, they had to be heard because they were the only way to reconciliation with God. They're the only way to salvation. We see just before that, Jesus feeding 5,000. Then we see him feeding 4,000. It says Jesus healing many people, showing his power all over the place, healing people, healing people, healing people, healing people, because that's what Jesus can do. And then verse 16, Jesus says these words to Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Does that sound weak to anyone else? It's powerful, isn't it? Jesus is powerful. Power, power, power. Then he's, verse, uh, chapter 17, he's again healing with people, with healing a boy with demons. He's, he's taking authority over stuff. He's shown his power time and time and time again. And then in chapter 18, he says at the end of this, uh, the, the end of the, the, the chapter of the unforgiven servant, he's dealing with people who, aren't for, who don't show forgiveness to people and dealing with people who hold grudges, which is an awful lot of us, if we're honest about it. And he says, also my heavenly father will do to every one of you uh, if you do not forgive your brother and sister from your heart. So if you don't forgive people, God ain't going to forgive you. That's a hard message. That's a solid message. It's not a weak message. It's not a gentle message. It's power. If you don't forgive people, you're not being forgiven. That's no preached enough either. I know a lot of church leaders that have got unforgiveness in their heart, unfortunately. I know a lot of Christians that, have, that talk about folk because they're upset at stuff. They've just no dealt with it. It's just not how it's supposed to be. Then verse 19, he starts dealing with a lot of different things. He starts to deal with the rich again. Truly I say to you, only with great difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's me and you. Because we've got so much provided for us and so much available to us that we don't think we need God anymore. Which is totally wrong. That's why in poorer nations in the world, 
there's an awful lot more faith because they actually are thankful to God for what they have. We get that much stuff for no thankful anymore because we think we don't, we don't need them anymore, which is crazy. But actually, when you watch like documentaries and stuff or people that had everything, they're actually just lost people. I mean, you wouldn't swap your life for theirs, not in a second, but you swap your life for theirs. I'd rather have Jesus than any amount of money in the world. People have got their eyes focused on the wrong thing. He says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And by rich, he's not talking millionaires, but rich, he's talking about folk that have got enough uh, wealth about them that they don't need to rely on Jesus every single day. And that's every single person in this room. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to get to heaven. But thankfully, Jesus says, with man it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. All things are possible with God. So even though we're all right, we get to go. And then in verse 20, Jesus foretells his death for the third time. And he says, this, see, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. That takes a lot of strength, doesn't it? But what about this for strength? And he will be raised on the third day. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to conquer the grave. And I'm telling you right now, before it happens, I'm going to do it so as you're not surprised. And yet they were surprised. It's bizarre, isn't it? They, they didn't really believe it and they all scattered and they all left him on his own. Being mocked and flogged and crucified for someone else. That's strength, isn't it? That strength, even in the gentleness aspect of that, is crazy strength. It actually takes strength to be gentle because we don't really live in a gentle world. It takes strength to be gentle. Verse 21, we see Jesus going into the, into the temple and people are doing things that they're not supposed to be doing. Bye, pastors, Mike and Bev, bye. You can say goodbye, I was kidding you on. Say hi to the people for us. Jesus goes into the temple and he sees people doing things they're not supposed to be doing. What does Jesus do? He doesn't go up and say, excuse me, would you just mind if I moved you over there? Or would... No, no, no. He, he made himself a whip and he went in and trashed the place because the people shouldn't have been doing that in God's house. And there's a lot of things going on in God's house today that shouldn't be happening in God's house. That does my head in as well. But that was brave to do that in a temple. Jesus on his own and all these guys doing the wrong thing, selling stuff, taking advantage of people going to worship, selling them sacrifices at crazy prices because it, you know how it's like when you go, you know what it's like when you're on a train or a plane and it's the only place you can buy a water is a train or a plane. So like, can I have a water? They're like, yes, 10 pound. You know what I mean? What's going on with that? People taking advantage of people. There's people in the temple taking advantage of people that are going to worship and Jesus isn't having it. So he doesn't go in with gentleness. He goes in with power and strength and he overturns the tables and he says, it's not happening in my father's house. This is supposed to be a place of prayer. It's time for the Christians in Scotland to stand up and make the churches what they're supposed to be. No, not, not clubs, not uh, houses of weakness, but houses of strength that preach the truth of the gospel. The people teach the truth of the to people and actually see our communities and our nation and our families and everyone else changed because the true message of Jesus changes lives because the message that oh, you know at the end of the day man life sucks doesn't it it's hard it really is like there's nice moments in it but life is hard and actually being a Christian 
sometimes makes it a little bit harder. I ain't going to lie to you. I'm going to try and sugarcoat stuff for you. Being a, you're being a Christian, you're a wee bit of a target. I'm a cult leader, apparently. I mean, I am. It's a, according to some members of my family. That's just a cult. You guys are all my weak followers. Did you know that? <laughs> yeah. Being a solid Christian, there's some crazy stuff going to get said about you. It's just not true. There's some crazy things going to be thought about you. It's just not true. So sometimes even being a Christian can be harder, but I'd rather go through slightly harder days with Jesus by my side than go through a single moment of a day without him. Any day of the week. But life's kind of difficult anyway, but Jesus has the power to change lives. But we're not preaching his power enough. We're preaching gentleness and compassion and grace and that, which is all true, but it's not the full picture. And we have to preach the full picture. Just teaching grace and compassion gives people the false impression that they can just do what they want and because Jesus is such a nice guy, they're going to get to heaven anyway. And that's not what Jesus said. Jesus asks us to follow his example. Jesus tells us to live certain lives. And of course, again, it's not living those lives that gets us to, to heaven. It's not living those lives that makes us a Christian. But if you're a Christian, you should be living a Christian life. It's really simple. We should be trusting in Jesus. Um, Jesus then goes on to say, verse 21 from 42, have you never read the scriptures he's saying to people? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and marvelous in our eyes. Jesus is saying, I'm going to be rejected, but actually I'm the most important building block in your life. I'm a cornerstone. The cornerstone is what everything got built on back then. I'm the most important stone. And he says, therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls in this stone, the one who falls in me will be broken to pieces because I'm more powerful than anything. This is what Jesus says about himself. And if the cornerstone falls on anyone, it will crush him. Jesus is saying, I'm more powerful than anything. When Jesus describes himself, he describes himself as powerful. Jesus then wasn't scared again to talk about hell, to talk about consequences. He says in verse 22, which is like a parable about basically people being invited to come to Jesus, but not coming to Jesus. And Jesus is saying, they said to the king of the attendants, bind these guys hand and foot, cast them into the outer darkness in that place. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but a few are chosen. I've heard hell watered down over the years. I don't know if anyone else has heard that. I've heard people say things hell is just a place where God isn't there that's not what the Bible says the Bible talks about wailing and gnashing of teeth and that but you would be wailing because, it, because if you don't believe imagine finding yourself on judgment day at the end of time and it's like you're seeing all these, you're seeing all these people going to heaven and you know you're not going and you're like man I just wish I'd listened to Dave that day Oh man, I just wish I'd taken the opportunities. I wish when I'd heard that truth of the gospel, I'd believed it. I didn't believe it and now I know it to be true. And ah, you would be wailing, you'd be bawling your eyes out. I can't think of very much worse than that. Finding out when it's too late that it was all true and you rejected it. Jesus was real and you rejected him. Jesus is brave enough and strong enough to warn people about that even if we are not. And then in verse 23, he's going after the leaders again. He says, and like this is strength, and he says to all the leaders, this is why they put him on the cross, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites in verse 13, 
Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Um, and he says, you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. So you travel all over the place in order to get one follower. And when he becomes a follower, you make him twice as much a hell as what you are. So you see, you're such a bad example that you're no helping anybody. And actually, you're making folk worse than you. But he's calling again the religious leaders, childs of hell, and saying anyone that they help, that's where they're going. And Jesus is calling these guys out, man, that's brave. And then he calls them blind fools in verse 17, blind men in verse 19, Hypocrites in verse 23, blind guides again in 24, hypocrites in 25, blind in 26, hypocrites in 27, hypocrites in 29, serpents, brood of vipers. How are you to avoid being sentenced to hell in 33? Jesus is telling folk there's consequences for sin. And the church needs to know that there's consequences for sin. Because too many of us are dabbling with it. Apparently, Christians walking with Jesus, but we're dabbling in sin. We're not called to do that, church. We're called to allow our lives to be transformed. And we're warned by Jesus that there are consequences to sin as well. Verse 24, sorry, chapter 24, Jesus says that the Son of Man is coming at an hour that we don't expect. Jesus is coming back. We sung it this morning. Jesus is coming back and he's going to take all those that believe away with him and everyone else is going to get the fight of their life. That's the truth. It's no good enough to go. I'm, just, just, I'm, I'm enjoying the life I'm living right now. I'm just going to keep living this life. But, but later on, maybe when I'm later, I'll come to Jesus. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. You don't know what's going to happen when you leave here today. You don't know when Jesus is coming back. The time to give your life to Jesus is now. The time to stop messing with sin is now. The time to stop not taking Jesus seriously enough is now. The time to stop thinking about what, worrying about what people think and not worrying about what Jesus thinks is now. The time to give your life to Jesus and allow him to transform you is right now. Because we don't know when Jesus is coming back. It could be at any moment in time and then Jesus gives an illustration about servants in a house and they don't know that the servant's coming back so they're kind of just doing what they want and behaving how they want and then the, the master comes back and, and finds them at a time that they don't expect and it says if that happens they'll be put out with the hypocrites in the place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth Jesus is not afraid to say it again there's like there's no one in his place Thankfully, we all have the opportunity to go to glory with Jesus. And then verse 25, Jesus is talking about the parable of the talents, which basically is just saying, God's given to each of us some gifts. Everyone in this room has got gifting. Everyone in this room has got stuff we can give back to God. But what are we going to do with the gifts that God has given to us? We see some people use those gifts and they got multiplied. Some people use the talents and they multiplied and others just did nothing with them and they didn't get multiplied. And again, we're warned against that stuff. The worthless servant was cast out into that place of outer darkness where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth again. What are we going to do with the talents that God's given us? Are we going to use them for his glory? Are we going to use them to bring people to him? Or are we going to just hide them away because we're scared of what people are going to think about it? Again, later on in the passage at the end, Jesus talks about eternal punishment. We're all going to live. We're all going to live forever. The question is where? If you follow Jesus, we talk about you follow Jesus, you'll have eternal life, you'll have eternal life even if you don't, but it'll no be somewhere that you want it to be. If you follow Jesus, we can have eternal life and glory. 
with him. And then we go through all the stuff that I went through on Friday night, the, the beating of Jesus, the whipping of Jesus, the spitting in Jesus, the putting Jesus on the cross. And Jesus went through all of that for us without even saying a word. That's strong, isn't it? Sorry, I know I've been talking for a while today, filing through a Bible. But then, after Jesus had died on the cross, three days later, exactly as he said he would, he rose from the dead. Amen. How powerful is that? And that same power that conquered the grave can live in you. That same power that conquered the grave can change your life. That same power that conquered the grave can help you with every single decision that you make, with the small ones, with the big ones. That same power that conquered the grave has enough power to forgive you of your sin, to heal you of your guilt, to remove your shame, to help you to live a different life after the Sabbath, uh, chapter 28, towards the dawn of the first day. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He has risen. Come and see where the body lay. Then go quickly and tell the other disciples that he has risen from the dead. Jesus had the power to rise from the dead. But you know what I absolutely love about that? This story right there tells you that the whole, the whole thing was true. It's one of the confirmations of it. If, a, if a, a, a book that was written, when this book was written, was trying to convince someone that the words they were saying were true, they would not tell you that Jesus appeared to women and told them to go and tell people about it. Because the world was crazy misogynistic at that time. At this point in time, wouldn't, women couldn't even testify in court. A woman's testimony. If three women saw a guy murdering a guy, the guy couldn't get convicted because you don't believe a word that women say. So if someone was wanting, you, was wanting to write a, a made-up story to have someone believe something, they would do a far better job of saying Jesus appeared to women and asked women to go and do stuff because nobody would have believed that. Because why on earth would you do that? They would have said Jesus appeared to Peter or to Paul or to someone else. But actually, it, paint, it painted the men out to be weaklings. You wouldn't do that if you were making it up either. You'd want a little bit of a heroism. You'd want a little bit of something. But this is totally authentic, totally true, totally real. Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to the women and he told the women to go and tell the men that he was alive. Crazy. And then when he finally meets the men, he says, this all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. We're called to obey all that Jesus has commanded us to do. And again, obeying this stuff doesn't make you a Christian, but if you're a Christian, we should be obeying this stuff. We should be living for Jesus. How do we do that? We can't. But we can because of the power of Jesus. How do we do that? We let Jesus live in us. How do we live better lives? We allow Jesus to live in us. How do we have more strength? How do we have more peace? How do we have more gentleness? How do we display Jesus? And how we live our lives? We simply give our lives to him and ask him to live in us. And by doing so, we receive eternal life as well. Because Jesus conquered the grave, we can conquer the grave. Because Jesus beat death, we can beat death. Jesus is still alive today and will be alive forevermore. And if we give our life to Jesus today, we'll be alive with him in glory forevermore. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. And the truth of the gospel is you can't be passive about this. You can't be passive about this. To choose to not make a decision 
is to make a decision against following Jesus. You don't make a decision, you're making a decision against following Jesus. And the truth of the gospel is that future is not worth it. That future's a disaster and I'm not going to sugarcoat it by no telling you the truth. So I'm aware that, but sorry, I did speak for longer than I thought I would today. I know that's not as bad as it could have been. <laughs> it's bad enough, but it could have been worse. That's a whole book of Matthew in one day. There you go. Jesus conquered death. Jesus conquered grave. Jesus is the most powerful being ever walked in the face of this earth. And I would like us as a church, home church, to start walking in his power. Are you with me? To start walking in his authority. To start preaching truth, even if people don't like it. I'm, I'm okay with offending people if it's the words of Jesus that offend them. I'm not okay with offending folk with my actions or my words, but I'm okay with offending people with the truth. Thanks for listening to the Home Church Scotland podcast. If you have any questions about what you heard today, feel free to get in touch with me. My email is dave at homechurch.scot.